Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. I see nothing but, again, manufactured drama and selling out just to sell out so you can make a bunch of money and be like, see you suckers. You know, I got there first. It's a capitalist society We're you know, I got to make mine. And that's how everybody kind of feels nowadays. And that's terrifying. Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. Zachary Levi, pumped to have you on, man. Thanks for coming on. I'm so stoked that we were able to make it happen, man. I mean, we've been messaging on Instagram for so long. I've been such a fan. Feels of like what a while. Been putting now. out into the world, it has been. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I've been following you for, I mean, at least a couple of years and reposting your stuff all the time. And I mean, I, I, I that's one of the even though social media is, you know, definitely part of the demise of society. I think that <laughs> people like yourself uh, and and others out there who you know, we're, we're, we're trying to use it to amplify good, using it to amplify yeah. wisdom and truth and kindness and empathy and love. And, um, so if we do, I think we can redeem it. I think it can actually be an incredible tool for good right now. I think it's, we're still, we're, we're being outweighed by, you know, the constant comparison and narcissism and uh, materialism and all that stuff that is just pumping through it. And, algorithms that are <laughs> attacking us on on every level Oof. but you know it's weird it's the it's the irony of social media right it is both probably the leading cause of mental illness but also the greatest platform we've ever been given to talk about mental illness and the treatment thereof so it's a very interesting it's a weird you know, paradox eh? yeah super weird paradox but we got to keep marching forward and in, into the light yeah, well, I mean, I love your stories. You always share so many different, super funny shit, but also like uh, whiz, quotes, I forget what it's called, like outlaw poets or something like that. 
Yeah, outlaw po- poetry or so. Yeah, I don't know. It's so good. But anyways, I love your stories because I always get this sort of plethora of really good stuff. And we're around the same age. So often you'll post like funny 80s things or things that just are like from oh, our yeah. youth, which I love. You saw that one about Gen Xers the other day. You shared it. I saw it in your stories. That's how I saw it. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. That was like, don't fuck with Gen Xers. They left the house in the morning and didn't come back till night. They had keys to the house. Like survived on drinking out of, of water hoses of strangers' <laughs> yeah. yards. I mean, we did. We totally so did. so true. Yeah, you think about, I don't know if you've ever read um, Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. I have not read book. it, but I've heard it. Heard it's fantastic, yeah. Oh, it's so good. And in it, though, he talks about some of the most, the greatest adventures of a child are just like out on your bike with your friends with no supervision. And in a way, the way that we've influenced parenting is to not allow that anymore, to like protect kids from any risk, but it, it actually prevents them from these experiences and adventures that allow them to trust themselves and to learn, you know? Yeah. I'm to become self-sufficient. And yeah, I, it's really, it's really odd. You know, I'm, I, I'm not a parent. So me or at least not that I know of, uh, but yeah, yeah. Me neither. Um, but I, you know, I have obviously lots of friends. I'm nearly 42. So I have, most of my friends are parents and a lot of the people that I meet and spend time with are parents. And I hear all of them almost without, without question, almost every single person to the person says I'm a helicopter parent and I don't want to be, but I don't know how not to be. Mm. And, and, it, and they won't, and they don't stop. They, they know that they are coddling too much they're still very much telling themselves that they have to be because the world is so crazy and what you know how are we supposed to let our kids go out and be in this crazy world so it's easy for me to say these things i guess because i'm not a parent i have not that qualifies us actually doesn't it (laughs) but what i you know the conversation i always try to bring up is well because when we were kids we never right like they all say that these are all these parents and i say if you know that we all survived and we did fine why are you so scared now? And of course the answer is, is, well, you know, I mean, look at all the crazy things that are out there to which I'm always, and again, I, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I don't think so. I question whether or not the world we live in now is actually more dangerous than the world we all grew up mm. in, because I don't know that it is. We grew up in a time when no one had a cell phone, where there were very few ways to, you know, surveil people. Like there weren't like, you know, cameras outside of every store that like we grew up in an analog world, which means pedophiles and kidnappers and all that stuff could roll up on a kid in a panel van and you'd be gone and no one would know. But right. now everyone's looking all the time. There's cameras. We get Amber alerts to our phone. All of it, all of it. So I go, isn't it actually more safe now to let your kids go run around and do those things? Because it seems like it probably is. And I don't think I don't think that society is making more pedophiles. I don't think society <laughs> is making more people. I I, I don't. I you know that certainly it's making more people uh mentally ill. You know, we were talking yeah, about that earlier agreed. before we started. I think that there's certainly mental illnesses at an all-time high for myriad reasons, but I don't personally, and again, I haven't looked at the data. I don't know that there, I don't know what data to look at, but just logic tells me we live in a safer time now to let your kids go roam because there are far more people with their heads on swivels looking and making sure that everyone is not just being tempted into vans with candy, you know? But it's ironic to me that we don't want them out roaming the streets or whatever it might be, but we are fine with them buried in their phones, you know, buried in a device. 
at such a young age too. And again, I'm not shaming someone who needs to do something or a single parent who needs their kid, whatever, right? Like, it's not about that. It's like, can we just hold the truth that social media or just devices our dopamine stores, none of it stands a chance. Like the what you were saying earlier, it's like social media is one of the greatest tools. The internet, smartphones, for sure. The, I would say if technology was the ultimate achievement, we've done some pretty crazy achievements. But at the same time, like our biology hasn't caught up to be, be able to be even kind of discerning. Like I remember someone saying that when you watch a porn movie and you see like, 12, like, I always laugh when I think of there's a stand-up comedian who's like, anyone else here watch porn? And no one raises his hand. He's like, billion dollar industry, just me. And then it's okay. But I was thinking, (laughs) 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 if you've ever happened to pop by some pornography, I remember them saying that you would see like more boobs in one movie than you would have seen living in a tribe, you know, a thousand years ago. Yeah. And biologically, yeah. like a thousand years evolutionarily, it's like, boom, you know, nothing. There's been so many great studies uh, as of late that keep, that continue to come out, that continue to, you know, point to the fact that we are evolutionarily at a huge disadvantage because physically, uh, physiologically, we're still hunter gatherers. We, we, technology has accelerated so fast and we have not been able to genuinely keep up with all of the ramifications that come with all that technology. And like going back to what you're saying, you know, and not in shaming anybody, there's, but, but just pointing out truth for truth, you know, parents are terrified that their children roam the actual streets, but are totally fine with them roaming the streets of the internet, which by the way, end up being far more detrimental. I mean, look, obviously being kidnapped by a pedophile in real life is a horrible thing. The chances of that happening are very, 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 very slim. The chances of your child developing really, really bad mental illnesses, or by the way, being groomed by some person online, that's where the pedophiles are now. Not just driving around in vans, you know, with, with bags of candy. They are on all of these they're on all these chat sites and instagrams and even things that were built for kids like specifically they go to those places and they interact with the kids online and they get the kids to go and send them weird pictures and things like it's insane so it's it's really unfortunate that that parents i think they you know look a, a huge part of it is just the news the news used to be Morning news, evening news, and it wasn't all just sensationalism. It wasn't just all clickbait. It wasn't just all how do we make people terrified so that they stay tuned to our news 24-7, which essentially CNN was kind of the beginning of. Not that I think they really intended for that to, to be. I don't think Ted Turner was like, I'm going to make everyone addicted to the news. and we're gonna, But they realized quickly, hey, listen, we've got a cable news network where 24-7 news how do we keep people involved? The OJ Simpson um, chase was like really the first thing that broke that. It was like, oh, we just have to keep showing people tragedy. If we just keep showing people these, you know, literal and, and figurative uh, train wrecks, then they will keep coming back. And, and it's like, you know, just hit me, hit, you know, it's like this, this drug almost. And that has been rewiring people's brains to just be in constant fear all the time. I mean, it's the same way that the pandemic work. It's the same thing that all of these things end up attacking us. It's like, yes, are there things that we need to be concerned about? For sure. 
or is the news, do they know it's in their best interest to amplify the fear in order for us to stay glued to it so that we are watching all the time and getting their advertisers really happy because we're watching all the fucking commercials. It's like we were talking about before. Yes, social media is both the leading cause of mental illness and the greatest platform to battle it because we've never had a platform to talk about mental illness or mental health or resources as you know great that can pro- proliferate in, in as many places. I've often um, said and have long believed that you know these these little things, these devices, it is both the greatest Swiss army knife in the history of mankind. You can do more with this one thing and by the way, so many things like, you can do with this. Way you can it is do, the greatest yeah. Swiss Army knife ever created. And also, it is the deepest narcissist pool we have ever stared into because we can't tear ourselves away from the way it makes us feel about ourselves, particularly when somebody gives you that like, somebody gives yeah. you that share, somebody gives you that comment and the dopamine hits and the dopamine hits and the dopamine hits. And if you watch a documentary like The Social Dilemma, you realize that they know this. Oh, yeah. They, None of their kids the are on in it. charge of all of it. Oh my God, and they're all addicted. And, and yet, could you imagine like back in the 70s and 80s, if our parents were told, if your children go and wander the streets, they'll become addicted to a drug that they encounter all day long on the streets, then we would never have been out on the streets, right? But we're telling parents now, if your child is exposed to this stuff on a regular basis, they become addicted to it. By the way, not even just children, adults, we're all addicted. And yet we go, well, I'll roll the dice. It's too much fun. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Not a big enough deal. My depression, not sure where that's coming from. Like that's, I think, you know, because I've experienced that deep level of anxiety from social media where I was just like, wow, I've never been anxious in my life. And it's like, what have I been doing? Oh, well, I've tracked more news cycles than I ever did in my life. You know, this was previously, but I had to really be observant of the addictive desire to want to go into it to like, and again, I, you know, when I'm, I would say I'm pretty prone to being addicted to things. You know, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a voracious consumer of things. Like I love if, if there's gummy bears, I want the whole bag. If there's popcorn, I'm eating the whole thing. You know, like if there's, I've never done cocaine, but I'm sure if I did it, I'd still be doing it. You know, like I'm, I was addicted to chewing tobacco when I was like 16 to 22 or something. And I don't think phones are any different. And I think because they're a social norm, then we don't think there's anything wrong. But if all of us are experiencing collective mental health challenges, then it's a good sign that what we are considering a norm is actually harmful collectively. But, you know, I, it's hard to observe too, because you kind of go, well, the food we eat and, and, you know, access to high quality food is hard, right? Like not only that, we're not taught to grow our food anymore. At least we had some control over it then, or at least we could you know, give ourselves some nutrition that way. But you look at like, if someone's doesn't have money and they're going to McDonald's, they're not getting the nutrition that allows their brains to think, their nervous systems to relax, like all that kind of stuff. And then you put it, add to that, that people are using these devices. People are, it's like an endless cycle. I'm, I go to the doctor, then I get the prescription. And then I, I never, am confronting the thing that's leading to like it's such a both end that's leading to the consumption the addictive behaviors 
and you know, it takes a breakdown. And I know, I know you're familiar with that. I know you know what that's like. And <laughs> speaking of breakdowns, <laughs> speaking of breakdowns, you yeah. had a real epic one. Um, but yeah, you know, like yeah. I've I've had the opportunity to hear about your new book and and to listen to you speak about it, and and that's really why I wanted to. Well, one, I wanted to chat with you, anyways, but to be able to chat about something that you know so in-depthly um, that you've walked. And I think that's such an important thing. If you haven't heard me talk about Cozy Earth Sheets before, let me tell you I'm about to introduce you to the greatest sheets you will ever have touch your body. Anytime someone comes to our house and stays in our guest room, they always want to know what is the bed situation. What are the sheets that we have? Their sheets, their comforters, their duvets, everything is magic. Their bedding is naturally breathable. It's temperature regulating. It's so damn soft. It's ethically sourced viscose from bamboo. It's incredible. And the brand was featured on Oprah's favorite thing but before that it was featured on Mark's favorite things like I discovered this brand years ago before I ever even chatted with them about being a sponsor for the podcast and because I love their product so much I asked for an exclusive offer for you and you get 40% off site-wide and now they have pajamas they have like loungewear so not only do you get to wrap yourself in the experience of the sheets as clothing but you then get to get into the bed in that so you're like double wrapped and so all you got to do to save 40% off site-wide is use the code groves at checkout so just my last name g-r-o-v-e-s so go to cozyearth.com C-O-Z-Y-E-A-R-T-H dot com and use the code Groves and you get 40% off all their products. Yeah, I mean, five years ago, my life was, unbeknownst to me, I was insanely unhappy. And one one might think, well, how do you how do you not know that you're unhappy, right? Like, it's it's pretty obvious when, when you're happy or when you're unhappy. But it was a different level of unhappiness. Like, was it not conscious? Like, I'm sad. It was like environmental. Like, I was on. I was. I was clearly unhappy with a lot of things going on in my life. But I, I guess, in the back of my mind, still kept feeling like, yeah, yeah. But I'm gonna go do these other things, and that's what my purpose is anyway. And you know, this is just these things not materializing because they're in the way of whatever my destiny is, or blah blah blah. I don't know. And I had a head full of dreams and a head full of steam, and this, you know. Uh, this this dream that I still have that I moved out to Texas to to kind of uh, succeed doing, which was to build a new independent movie studio that's also an arts commune, that's also a resort, kind of like that's a new cool. United Artists studio that really takes the power and gives it back to the artists because I think that Hollywood has been broken for a really long time. I'm very great, grateful for the jobs that I continue to get in this industry. And I'm grateful to the executives and producers and everybody that have trusted me with these jobs. But I think as a as a system, you know, not that there's not great people right. that are in that system, but the system is broken. It's been broken for a really long time. And like all industry, uh, has just continued to value profit over people. You know, that is bottom line is all that matters. And they will pinch every penny. They will squeeze everything and everyone. They will wring it all dry in order to have a better bottom line to make their shareholders happier. So their CEO gets a bigger bonus and salary. I mean, it's all so broken. Like, you know, and that's, and that's Hollywood, that's big oil, big pharma, big agriculture. It's all of the industries. They, they don't care about the only real value, which is life, which is human, animal, and plant life. That is the only miracle. Therefore, that is the only real value in my humble opinion. Um, and, 
And the really sick irony of it all is that it doesn't actually take a lot of money to still make a shit ton of money and also protect right. all that life. It's just shaving off a little bit, just a, just little, a little bit margin. of what yeah. is ultimately a yeah, just a little margin just to be like, hey, you know what? All you people in whatever, you know, said industry, all you people that are the lifeblood of it, that are the cogs in the machine that are creating all these widgets, name your widget, all of you who are responsible for doing that work, we're going to value you. <laughs> we're going to value your physical, emotional, spiritual, mental well-being. And we're, we're not going to overwork you. You know, we're gonna, obviously it's still a job. You got to go to, you, there's responsibilities and all those things, but we're going to value your life as a human being and or value the environment that we are, you know, potentially polluting and destroying in the process of doing whatever it is our industry is doing. And then also, by the way, you know, valuing the people in life that are the at the end of the cycle, you know, the, the end user, you know, it's one of the things about Hollywood that's always broken my heart, which is not only does it not really value the people making the movies, but it also doesn't value the audiences mm. that I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard. I've lit verbatim heard executives say things like, yeah, but audiences are dumb. Wow. And I'm like, what? what? You, you genuinely think that these people are stupid, which is why they don't care to make something better. They go, ah, oh, they'll eat whatever, yeah. you know, it's like the, it's like fast food industry. They don't care about making it healthy because they know people are just going to eat it anyway. It's like, yeah, because that's the only option. Could you imagine if all of the options you gave them right. were healthy? They would be eating healthy food. It's not that they want to eat unhealthy food. It's that that's the shit you keep serving them. Same thing with Hollywood. You can keep, I mean, reality television is the, not. it's worse than the equivalent of fast food. <laughs> it's like eating the worst fast food mixed with turpentine. <laughs> it, it, it is it is rotting everyone's soul and, and mind. The amount of, genuinely, the amount of fallout that we're going to have from years and years and years and years of people glued to the TV, watching things like the Kardashians and uh, watching things like, like the, the real Bachelor housewives, yeah. all of it, all of it. And it's all just manufactured drama, by the way, this is not even real. These are not even real people having real moments, authentic moments. Reality doesn't mean reality at all. It's all produced over dramatized moments. And, and by the way, and again, you know, not to preface, I'm already talking about it to reface. I don't know what, <laughs> what do you, when something is after the fact, but no shame, no judgment. This is not me pointing fingers at anybody who does watch this stuff and say, you're a horrible person. However, this is me saying, I think you need to check your priorities because I, what the oftentimes what I hear from people when I talk about my disdain for reality television, they say, yeah, but you know, it's, it's a guilty pleasure yeah. or whatever. I mean, you know, it's not hurting anybody. And I go, well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You, the adult watching The Bachelor, you might think, oh, it's a guilty pleasure and it's not really hurting anybody. Because maybe, maybe you have a solid grasp on what actual love is. I would doubt it. I think that if you really, really loved yourself, you wouldn't be putting this crap yeah. into your body, into your eyes and ears and mind and heart. But even if you have a solid grasp on loving yourself and loving another person, and this really is just like watching a train wreck and it's guilty pleasure and you got your popcorn and whatever, you realize, you have to realize that as an adult, you are setting an example for the younger generations. You are setting an example for the kids. The kids don't know right. the difference between what is actual reality and reality television. 
They think we're watching this thing called reality television. They, having no real context or understanding, will go, oh, this is what real life is. This is how people, this is how people find love and get married. They go and they they're roses and they go and there's a guy and there's 20 girls and they all just want to sleep with them. And then whoever he likes the most because she's giving her everything away in this moment and it's all a game, that's how you find real lasting love and you get married. Like that's literally conversations that they must be having in their minds. I mean, it's terrifying, bro. Look at how how many women want to look like a Kardashian. Oh God. I and it's it's terrifying. To me, I mean, I, I don't, I don't look at the Kardashians and go like, "Oh wow, that is a symbol of health." No. <laughs> That's a symbol of like health and strength, mental and emotional and physical strength. Like, I see nothing but again manufactured drama and selling out just to sell out so you can make a bunch of money and be like, "See, a suckers, you know, I got there first. And if other people get hurt in the process, okay, you know, it's." It's a capitalist society where, you know, I got to make mine. And that's how everybody kind of feels nowadays. And that's terrifying. Yeah, I have a real problem with how they influence how women see themselves, how people do. But just, you know, there's no judgment here. But I really do have a problem with the amount of like lip filler, Botox, all these things. And again, like it's not coming from a judgmental place. It's more from like how, because certainly men and women and people have participated in the modeling of what partners we choose and what we find attractive and blah, blah, blah. And we put, throw some evolution in there. But to me, I'm like, wow, I think there's a direct, like if you are doing something to alter yourself again, outside of certain circumstances, there's always qualifiers. I just don't see that you can inject something. We also don't know the long-term effects of injecting these things. But if you are injecting something into your body, you are saying, I don't like my body as it is. And I think that's an in, a strange paradox for the unconscious mind to be able to navigate. Again, I don't care that people do it. To me, I'm just like, wow, we've created these circumstances that aging in and of itself is not healthy. That's fucked up mm. because like, mm. if you reject aging, you reject yeah. wisdom. You reject what comes with age. And we do live in this culture that's very much about retaining youth, retain, you know, all of that. And it's like, if we honored aging, we'd honor our elders and we'd look to them to teach us. I mean, imagine a lot of elders would look at what we're doing right now and be like, okay, some fucked up stuff. Like, did you guys want to learn about the past and maybe some of history and how propaganda is used and how, I mean, there's people who don't think there's no, there's any controlling of information. And I was, I've said this before on the podcast, but I have a buddy who's from China and I was like, man, the news is really like, not telling the whole truth. He's like, yeah, I forget that you guys think the news is real. <laughs> like, I was like, oh yeah, that's a good, because to him, he's like, oh, wow. we just don't believe it. It's never and been real. I, as a Canadian, yeah. and I maybe this is true for American, you can, you know, we speak for all of Canada and all the United States, but as a Canadian, I actually mm-hmm. never thought my government would lie to me. That is the most naive as I say it, I just want to take it back and be like, that's dumb. But it was such a privilege. I recognize that to think that my government wouldn't. But now I'm like, oh, this government lies all the time. I don't trust most of what comes out of the government's mouth. And I honestly, I don't trust the news, regardless of the political skew or the like when the stuff started to come out about the Ukraine and Russia, 
no thoughts about that circumstance, but what raised my red flags was why are they trying to make me fall in love with this guy, Zelensky? Like that was weird to me. Hmm. Anyways, yeah. What are your thoughts? I, it just dawned on me that I, I uh, rabbit trailed from my story of talking about how I had a total breakdown. So I should get back to that, but just really quickly on what yeah. you were talking about. Oh yeah. Um, Let's get back to your yeah, breakdown. I, That's I, right. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. But I, yeah, know, yeah. I do want to just wrap this up, which is on the, let's say the lip fillers and all that jazz and, and just, you know, how, how we have, have gone that far. Like you said, I'm venting on this stuff, not because I think any right, of these people yeah. are bad people. They're all products of the same environment. We're all products of, but the environment needs right. to change. The environment needs to get back to understanding. And again, the environment is only going to change if we figure out how to truly love ourselves Amen. and each other, because all of these things are reflections of the opposite. They're all reflections of I'm not enough. Right. And therefore I have to do these things and then I will be enough. Now that's also, by the way, you know, there are people that go and have certain surgeries um, because there is a certain thing on their body. Like I know people have gotten nose jobs yeah. before, right? Now I don't take some hard line on it because I know that this person who got a nose job lived with it for, they lived with their nose for whatever, I don't know, 25 years. And it always, 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 no matter how much work they did and how much they try to love themselves, they always yeah. felt insecure. And as soon as they got the Change nose life. job, because their nose was a, you know, just a, it was a larger nose or whatever it was they felt normal. They felt okay. And they're not going crazy and doing all kinds of other stuff. There are things where I think, and again, this is, it's, it's everyone's journey to figure out where are you doing something because you know, it will help you genuinely help you to accept yourself on a level that you have been trying, but you can't. And then what are the things that you're doing beyond that, that are because yes. society mm. is making it a fad society is saying, oh, what's in right now is big butts. Oh, I better do, do a big butt. Well, what's in right now is this, that, or the other. Well, I better go right after that and I'll go. And that is where I think it starts getting super, super, I agree. super unhealthy. Again, that's everyone turning to go live. I don't know. As far as the news is concerned, yeah, man, listen, um, my mom was, and I'll get more into my mom as I talk about my breakdown because she was a major part of, of all of that. And my mom, but, you know, she was, you know, most toxic and abusive people in my life. But but also she was an incredible woman who was dynamic and charming and beautiful and talented and super intelligent. And I think also had a lot of discernment about a lot of things. And so from the time I came into the world, my mom was teaching me and my sisters to have at least a healthy level of distrust mm -hmm. for the government. Because you have got to ask yourself, you've got to realize, and this is part of, this world that we live in, follow the money, follow the money, follow the money, follow the money. And our government is one of the greatest perpetrators of various things that will enrich them. I mean, all, right now in the United States, we have so many politicians that knowing, by the way, it's somehow not against the law for our politicians to practice insider trading. It's illegal I, for everyone else. I don't know else. how that works. Or, I don't know, I, bro, I don't know either. I can't figure it out. But people like Nancy Pelosi are like, well, uh, we can do it, so we're going like, to do it. Got a it's bottle like, of vodka. Aren't you supposed to be a leader? Shouldn't you be leading by example? Yeah, like it's insanity. So, so <laughs> I've never had a fully, you know, like I, I always take, and not even just the government. I mean, the government, the news, industries, anyone, any individual, you have got to ask yourself, 
you know, or, or there's a, I don't know what the Latin is, but the Latin translates mm. to who benefits, right? It's a, it's a very famous Latin phrase and it goes and it speaks to follow the money. It's who benefits. And just ask yourself if somebody's pitching something to you or, you know, whether it's like you need to like Zelensky or you need to do this or you need to do that or whatever it is. There's been a lot of things over the last few years and the government and the news and industries have been yeah. saying, you should do this. Do you need to part. do this. It's good for you. It's good for them or whatever. And you have to ask yourself, is it good for me mm-hmm. or is it good for you? Is it good for whatever your bottom line is? And money, unfortunately, is a thing that we all kind of need in order for this world to kind of keep moving. It does have its actual, I think, you know, benefit truly. It's a utilitarian type of a thing where instead of, you know, bartering constantly and you've got sheep and I've got, I'm a potter and I've got pots, I can't carry enough pots to go, you know, get those sheep and vice versa. So we have this thing that's this little currency and it started as shells 10,000 years ago and now it's greenbacks or whatever the heck you want to call it. But, you know, I don't, it's, it's, money is not the root of all evil. Our greed, our love of money is the root of all evil. And it, and it always has been and it always will be because I, and that to me is just a hijack of fight or flight. It is our, it is literally our survival instincts kicking in. Once upon a time before there was money, survival meant, Shelter, food, clothing of some kind, community around you, tribe around you. That was survival. As long as you had those things, water, I put that in with the food. As long as you had those things, your fight Mm -hmm. or flight could calm down because you had all the things you needed. Well, then eventually there was this thing that came along, started the shells and then became other things. But that became the only thing you needed in order to yeah. get all those other things. With enough of these things, I could buy the food and the water and the shelter and the clothing and, and the community. And so people stopped caring about these the things that actually mattered and started going after this stuff because now with this stuff, not only can I buy all the things that I need, but I can go buy yes. all the things that I want. And I can also use it to make more of this stuff and I can lord that over other people and have more power over those over those folks. So all, really, it's like, it's a it's a really bad hijacking of our survival instincts i really believe it's that are great our survival instincts are necessary and good and wonderful and part of our evolutionary process and god-given and i think they're one you know it's they're necessary but now they are operating in a way that i don't think is healthy at all um and so anyway that's why you have to question everyone and everything and it doesn't mean you have to walk around in fear all the time just keep your fucking eyes open you know keep your Make, don't just be so close-minded or or rather, or don't be so open-minded that you're just believing everything that you're hearing. You know, be open-minded to the point where you're willing to hear and accept that other people have different points of view, have that, but still be able to process that through, through logic and reason and rational thought and come to conclusions that make sense. And you're allowed to, we should be allowed to. And I, I so appreciate that you talk about this on your podcast all the time and on your social we should be allowed to question everything. And whoever is pitching us this shit should not be afraid right. that we are questioning what they are pitching. Anyone who's pitching a good thing is not afraid if anybody tries to dissect right. it because it'll stand. If you say, hey, I believe this thing. And somebody's like, I don't know. Let me ask you questions about it. And you so, well, you can't ask me questions. Well, that means you're terrified of answering the questions because deep down, you know, right. you don't have answers to those questions. But if somebody says, I've got questions, if you really know what you're talking about and you believe what you're talking about and you know that it's a good thing for this person that you're pitching, and somebody says, I have questions, you go right. bring the questions. I would love to go deeper on this. Let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. Yeah, man. So my mom raised us with a lot of that 
Very grateful and, that she did. And. Now, going back to the breakdown. So, yes, I moved out. And, yeah. So I moved out to, to Austin, had this breakdown because I had these dreams of building the studio and, you know, just, I don't know, fulfilling all of these, the calling on my life, if you will. And I really, really believed that that was what I was supposed to do. And my career was kind of in a weird place. I, you know, to the outside observer, I was living the dream. You know, I, I was, a I had started my own TV show. I had started other TV shows. I had been in movies. I, 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 whatever, you know, pick, pick your, pick your poison. Um, any millions and millions of people who, and there are millions and millions of people every day who dream of being a working actor. And I was living that dream. So it's easy for someone on the outside to say, how could you possibly think that things were not good? Let's say, but in my mind, I was failing. And that was pretty constant most of my life. I didn't realize that it was tied to the trauma that I experienced as a child, but basically nothing mm. I could do could ever really stack up enough where I felt like even the best role that I played, well, well, that's not enough because that's only supposed to get me to this. That's supposed to get me to this. That's supposed to get me to this. And then maybe to this and then finally to this. And then if I get there, then I haven't failed, right? And I think most yeah. people struggle with some version of this. I was definitely struggling with that. So my career was in a place, I wasn't getting the roles that I really thought I, you know, deserved or, or not even deserved, but like really wanted that I thought could put me in the next echelon of, of talent, of working with the directors and other actors that I so desperately wanted to work with and felt like, well, if I was, then, then I'd be more succeeding. Um, my love life was uh, not in a great place. I literally was dating a wonderful girl who was from Austin, probably would have moved back to Austin with me, but I in a glorious bout of self-sabotage was like, no, I don't think this is working out. I don't think so. And, you know, broke up with her and, um, and, you know, I moved out here by myself. I had an incredible community of friends and family in Southern California. And, but I was like, no, I got to go. I got to go do this. This is, you know, my calling. And so I moved out here. I had no real support structure. I was now suddenly like, oh my God, I can't believe I broke up with this wonderful girl. My career, again, not in the place that I wanted to be and even kind of feeling like it was going down. And, uh, and I got out here and I was like, oh my God, I've completely blown up my life. I am absolutely the failure that the voices in my head are telling me that I am. I spiraled into this insane darkness, darkness that I had never, and I had had bouts of depression and darkness throughout my life, starting when I was probably in middle school, there were clinical depression. Again, had no idea at the time, felt like that was probably something everybody experienced. But looking back on my life, holy crap, that was clinical depression. And I definitely should have been in therapy uh, a long time ago. But was in this darkness, didn't know how to get out of it. And ultimately was like, I think I would rather die. And again, I had had moments throughout my life where I had those types of thoughts before. But I've, if you know, suicide is a 10 wow. rung ladder, I was at rung nine. I was ideating about if I was going to do it, how would I do it? And thankfully, uh, my younger sister had just had her first son, Griffin. And I knew, I, even through all that depression and all of that anxiety, and it was insane, like screaming at the top of my lungs, crying out to God, shaking in my car, like I'm losing my mind, literally felt like I was a crazy person talking to myself. And also, kind of relating to, you know, for the first time realizing what a lot of homeless people must be going through when you see people talking to themselves, because they are going through really, a lot of them really gnarly mental health crises. And also, once you become so unclean that nobody wants to engage with you, 
you must start mm-hmm. feeling like you're going even crazier because nobody wants to look at you. Nobody wants to talk to you. So who do you look at or talk to but yourself? You know, it's very strange. I wasn't in that place exactly, but I could relate to some of that on some level. I was really, really losing my mind. I was having a mental, emotional, spiritual breakdown. And the thought of me ending my life, I knew that that would totally wreck my sisters. And yet that alone mm. wasn't enough to stop me. What stopped me, really stopped me, was I knew that if I wrecked my sister, it would destroy her son. Mm. I knew that I would be handing down more generational trauma to yet another generation. And I couldn't bear the thought of, of passing this pain down to him, this little innocent baby mm, that has just powerful. come into the world. And so that was enough to just kind of keep me where I was. Then I was reaching out for help and my sister um, found, I said, you know, sis, I need help. I need to go away to some place that is a deep, a place of deep healing. Like for multiple weeks, I am not good. I am in really, really bad shape. And I was able to, she was able to find this organization that operates out of Connecticut And um, I went to three weeks of this massively intense, uh, life-changing, life-saving therapy um, that was, um, you know, myriad modalities. It was a a psychiatrist, psychotherapist, dialectic behavioral therapist, art therapy, meditation therapy, uh, life coach, nutritionist, gym four days a week, yoga twice a week, Pilates twice a week. And I had two, uh, two to four of those types of appointments seven days a week for three weeks. And that was an incredibly helpful learning process, obviously. And I took away so much from that. But I will tell you that one of the biggest things I struggled with and that I didn't know until I went to this place was that I I, I genuinely did not love myself. And I didn't even know really what self-love meant or what it was. I, I was operating from a place of only really liking myself if I was succeeding, only really liking myself if I was, you know, uh, working, uh, which was, you know, uh, which is still something I struggle with, you know, not only liking myself if I'm working, but rather mm. liking myself more if I'm working because For I, sure. and by the way, and that's a lot of people, a lot of us find a lot of purpose, a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of that. And, and I don't know that that's ever going to change because I think there's something inherent in us as human beings where we feel like we are offering something to the world when we are of use, when we are doing something that is actually producing something, whatever that thing is. Um, and so it's not entirely unhealthy, but you know, for me, learning all those things, all those modalities, that was great. But for two and a half weeks, I was getting nowhere. And I, in fact, in, in some ways I was getting worse because I was doing all this two work and a half and nothing of those three weeks. And, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I was there for a total of like three weeks and a couple of days but it, for two and a half weeks of that, the first two and a half weeks, I, in, like I said, mm-hmm. in some ways I got worse because I, I was getting all this help, all this treatment, and nothing was changing. And so then I started to spiral more because I'm like, you're, you're so broken. None of this is going to get you out of this. You really ought to just be gone. You really ought to just go to sleep and not wake up again. And I tell you, man, it was this one woman. So at this it wasn't a facility as much as um, like I stayed in a home. This this organization, basically they work with a bunch of local therapists and psychiatrists in the area that they operate in and you stay in a regular house and then you go and drive to all your appointments and do all your things. Now, 
they work with people like myself who are oftentimes on death's door, like really can barely get themselves up and going in the morning. And so because of that, they hire these companions, you know, companions, I think they call them house moms, really. And they would be there, they would rotate through, they were, you know, maybe four different of these ladies, they're all middle-aged wives, mothers, or both, kind of semi-retired, but all with deep empathy and big hearts. And they would be there to make sure you ate, make sure you, your laundry was done and make sure that you, wow. they would drive you to all of your appointments. Thank God. And one of these ladies, the one that I first encountered when I first got there and who ended up being my companion the most throughout this, this journey, who I call Beth in the book, um, she was the wife of the pastor of the church that I randomly chose to go to when I was there, as it turned out. She was probably the most empathetic wow. person I had ever met in my life. And not empathetic, like there's unhealthy empathetic where you take on other people's pain and you can't handle it. She was this just incredible woman who could feel it all with you, but not mm. allow it to take her down. So it like you could you could give so much and she could hold so much and hold so much space. And took it upon herself. She was, she knew that a Zach, not a last name, but a Zach was going to be coming in at this date, uh, you know, a week prior. And she started wow. praying for me then. And then once I got there, she kept praying for me and praying with me. And this woman was basically a conduit mm. of God's love for me, a conduit of a mother's love for me. My mom had passed away two years prior to me going to this place. And there was still a lot of unresolved resentment and unforgiveness. Mm. And, um, and this woman became love. She became a mother's love, a conduit of that love. And she loved, was a part of loving and praying me back to life. By the way, to potentially her own detriment, because this wasn't a you know Christian or spiritual place. This was a very clinical uh, organization. And the companions were not allowed to insert any of their own opinions or treatments or whatever that was, including prayer that was crossing a line. And she told me one day we were driving and she said, Zach, just so you know, if anybody found out that I was praying for you and praying with you, then they would, you know, I, they would probably fire yeah. me just, j just so you know. And I was like, please, please, please don't stop praying for me. I won't tell anybody I need you to do this. You are like the only thing that's keeping me afloat right now. And she's like, no, 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 of course, of course. I just wanted to just, you know, let you know. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we drive for like a beat longer. And then she turns to me again and she says, but also I, I need you to know that I would gladly lose my job for you. Wow. And I, bro, I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't, the, the amount of love and sacrifice that this woman who didn't even know me, I was, you know, I was this brand new person in her life, but she was also a mother of three kids, older daughter, younger daughter, and boy in the middle, just like me and my sisters. And there was this, all this really kind of fortuitous uh, more than fortuitous, you know, um, like synchronistic, synchron like, yeah, like mm. all of it, a kismet, yeah. uh, God breathed, if you will, like it was all happening. And, and this woman being this conduit of love to me helped to, at the very least, kick on the pilot light of my self-love for the first time so that I could leave that place and have something burning mm. that I could go work with. And, I got to say, you know, like all those other modalities, all those things that I learned, and I learned a lot and they were all very helpful and things that I continue to try and put into practice today. They would have all been for naught 
It would have all just been a lot of intellectual mumbo jumbo that I would never have applied to myself had I not had somebody teach me that I was worthy, mm. worthy of applying it to myself. And that's one of the biggest problems that we have right now, because there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of resources that people can go and dig up and look at. I mean, mental health awareness yeah. right now is at an all time high, which is fantastic. It needs to go a lot higher but it's way better than it was five years ago, which was better than 10, which was better than 20. We're living in a really wonderful renaissance of all that. More science continues to come out that continues to point toward the importance of it, the reality of it. More stigmas continue to be broken, which is wonderful. But if people are only getting the clinical side of it, if they're only learning self-love techniques but they're not learning that they are worthy of applying those techniques, then that mm. kind of goes in one ear, not the other. And so that was my journey there. I basically, while I, so two and a half weeks in, I have this major breakthrough. She prays for me. We do this, like, you know, going back into child, you know, inner child work, going back and like yeah. imagining your younger self. I don't know if you've ever done this and like apologizing to them and recognizing that, they did the best that they could, that there's no reason why you should be shaming your younger self, which is your current self and all of that. And I had this amazing breakthrough about two and a half weeks in, and I can finally see some light at the end of the tunnel. And on that day, I get an email from my agency uh, who I had told, hey, listen, I'm going to be off grid for you know a while. So getting some much needed healing. So, you know, keep me off of any interactions. I got to go do this first and then we'll get back into work. But of course, in traditional Hollywood style, I get this email <laughs> from my agent. Like, yeah. hey, like hope your deep work's good. Uh, like, <laughs> don't mean to bug. Um, but there's this role that, you know, we, we thought you might want to audition for now, two months before I go to this place, I had an audition set up for me to go audition for the role of Shazam. And I looked at the audition email and I knew uh, enough about the role and what was going on with it that I knew that that Shazam and this other character, Black Adam, were basically like doppelgangers. They were, you know, the, the good and, and evil side of the same coin. They looked exactly the same. They just have a slightly different color scheme and different haircuts. But they're like, you know, they're evil twin or, you know, mm -hmm. Shazam's evil twin was Black Adam. And I also knew that The Rock had been cast as Black Adam. So... I'm looking at this email slip and I'm like, this is a joke, right? Like I'm not famous enough, nor am I giant and ripped enough to ever get this job. So this just feels like I'm getting thrown a bone so that my agency makes me feel like I'm being thought of, but there's no, you know, it's like, this is a waste of everyone's time. So I said, I said, listen, I'm going to pass on this. This feels like it's a waste of everyone's time. And that was that. Now I'm getting this email about, hey, here's this other role is for a supporting role in the movie Shazam. Um, there's no, you know, there's no real information on it because the script was still like under lock and key and super hush hush. Uh, but, you know, if you want to take a look at it, if you, and no pressure, if you don't want to do it, no pressure at all, of course, but just throwing it out there. And I had just had this breakthrough. I'm now feeling the slightest bit of optimism and hope and starting to kind of love myself. And I look at the sides, the pages, basically for the for this audition, and and it's like you know, it's basically like it's a monologue I could do about myself because I'm still in this place where I'm doing therapy, and I go and but I'm not sure. And I go, hey, when do they need this by? And they go that by Friday, by Friday, end of that week, which was basically coming up on essentially the end of you know when my you know my major programming for this place would 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 be, and so I was like, okay, 
I'll think about it, but you know, maybe I'll send you something on Friday. And so I thought and prayed on it over the next couple of days and I was feeling better and stronger. And I come home from the gym there in Connecticut, come back home. And, uh, and I'm like, you know what? I, I can do this. I, I, if I don't get this, it's okay. This is not going to determine my worth or how I can love myself because that is because I'm not going to keep pinning these external things on, on my worth. And so I was like, you know, fuck it, whatever. So I set my phone up on my dresser there, pin it with a couple of books and, uh, and do one take. And I sent it in and I was like, all right, well, you know, have fun out there. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And then that, you know, a couple hours later, my phone's blown up and my agent's like, Hey, listen, um, they loved your read. They loved it so much that not only do they think you'd be great for that role, but they actually think you could be their Shazam. They haven't cast it yet. And I'm now I'm tripping because this I'm is like, the one you passed on. This is the one I passed on that I never thought I would get. But also it's like, wh- is this a test? Like part of the reason I'm even in this therapy is because Hollywood is a brutal place. It's a brutal place to go. And I mean, for mental health, it is really, really not good. So now all of a sudden I'm being asked like, hey, can you get to LA? They want to read you in LA. And I said, absolutely not. I still have like these couple days of like follow-up of with all my doctors where they give me the homework where I take it back and we know what we're doing. Can't do it. I end up doing a Skype Zoom, uh, it was, was it Zoom? I think it was still Skype yeah. at that point. <laughs> By the way, what happened to Skype? Man, they Man, totally dropped they really lost Anyway, it. so I end up doing a Skype uh, camera test over my iPad to their iPad uh, in Burbank. And that goes so well, that's on Monday. And that goes so well that they say, Zach, it's between you and another guy. If you don't come in, they're going to give it to the other guy. If you do come in, there's a really good chance you could get this. The momentum is shifting in your favor. And now I'm really, really torn on this because I think this has got to be a test. This has got to be some spiritual test where I've tried to go get healing from all of this crap in my life. And now here's Hollywood being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. hey, yeah. get on a plane. We've got this shiny little thing for you. Come back, come back. And as fate would have it, uh, Beth was working that night at, uh, at where I was staying and I go downstairs and I go, Hey, I need to talk to you about some stuff. This is what's going on. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, and she's like, well, let's pray. Let's just pray. And we'll see if we hear anything, if anything, you know, kind of comes to our heart or our mind. And we prayed and we finished praying and we both looked at each other and both of us felt the same thing, which was like, no, this isn't some test. This was exactly why you came to a place like this is so you could get the healing that you could do to go and try and take on roles like this. And also there was all kinds of other, you know, fun little coincidences about it. Like, I don't know, again, as a, as a spiritual person, you know, the role of Shazam is it's an acronym for a bunch of gods and demigods and, and a man of God, Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon is the S in Shazam. And then also literally the evil like the 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 villain of the movie the first one is the seven deadly sins and i'm playing a superhero <laughs> that's fighting sin yeah. literally sin and uh i'm like this is too crazy all right fine so i call my agency i'm like let's do it i get on a flight i fly to la i go to new york for a night on tuesday i fly on wednesday i camera test on thursday and on friday now a week from when i got that that email in connecticut a week later i go from barely wanting to live. In fact, not wanting to live, you know, I was just coming out of that to now I am a superhero in my own franchise and all of that journey. It was, it was bananas. It was totally bananas. But I knew that this only happened 
The, you know, why things, why do things manifest in our lives? Why, when the timing happens for things, it's yeah. when we go do the work that we need to do so that we can receive that blessing so that we are ready and prepared to handle the responsibility that comes mm-hmm. with a blessing because every blessing comes with some responsibility. Every single one It's you know, similar to like Spider-Man with every, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, power is a blessing. And, you know, I, went and uh, you know took me compl- having a complete breakdown but that sent me into this life-saving therapy that taught me and healed me enough and me going and doing that work where I could That's receive beautiful. this blessing and then you know I thought I was pretty good and I you know I was working then consistently for a while after that and w- and then when I was promoting Shazam I insisted, I told my publicist, like, I can't go and promote this movie if I can't also talk about this side of it. I have got to do it justice. I have I have to honor that I only got this job because of this work that I did. And everyone needs to, maybe whether it's for me or other people, everyone needs to have mental health more and more normalized for them. And so they understood. And so then I did a bunch of press and a lot of that press, I would talk about this journey. And then Harper Collins happened to, you know, hear a podcast that I did. And uh, they were like, Hey, you know, we think there's a book there and we think you can help a lot of people. And so that's ultimately, that's the, that's the long, (laughs) that's the long and the short of how ultimately I ended up writing a book about all of this stuff, but it all ultimately came from years and years of trauma. You know, I mean, I, I don't know what your childhood was like. Did you did you come from a household where you felt like there was a lot of that for you? Or did you feel like you came from a household that was a little healthier than that? Yeah, you know, I feel pretty blessed. Like I did, you know, I think all families have their challenges. But yeah, you know, like when I talked about my breakups or feelings, I talked about it with my dad, which, I mean, that's so mm-hmm. rare, especially for yeah. like a guy in who grew up in the eighties and nineties. Um, I consider myself really blessed that my dad has a really high level of emotional intelligence, you know, and I, I think my, my greatest triggers are definitely with my mom. She did a fantastic job, but you know, I think moms are like super chasm to personal development. You know, it's like the origin of, of our, a lot of our wounding is with her attachment with our mom. Um, but she's incredible. When I hear you talking about the shift, you know, the shift, and you spoke about it too, about like, if you're going to get work done, is it coming from an intrinsic desire for whatever, or is it coming from a desire to meet external uh, expectations? Much like you're saying, when the work like meditation or fitness or therapy is coming from an intrinsic motivation to heal and change and, and become, or is it becoming, are you doing the meditation because you expect something? And what I find so fascinating, and you were speaking to this, is every next level requires a next level of you. And I remember Abraham Hicks saying that whenever you wish for something, the universe will create all the circumstances for you to do the work to get to the thing. And so you might choose another unavailable person. You might get cheated on. You might get lied to. You might lie. You might get a DUI. You might, like, things will happen for you to face the patterns and choices and behaviors that are in the way of you holding this thing that you're wishing for. And it sounds like you were presented with exactly sort of that path that, that you said yes to, because had you not said it, you know, there, there was the alternate choice. And, and I think it's so fascinating too, that like you just, you found the edge of something that mattered enough, but then you found the thing that mattered more, which was the inheritance of trauma. Like, 
passing down something that had been running through your family on some level, but like you're saying the first man in this lineage is going to turn towards what this is so that it doesn't get handed down to this child who doesn't have a choice, which, uh, you know, we were saying we're not parents, but man, I would imagine looking in the eyes of a child is an incredible motivator, ideally, hopefully, um, to do the work. Even though I hadn't at that point hadn't done the work, I was I was right on the other side of that. I knew enough about how wrecked I was, at least in that moment, and where all of that had to have come from. I mean, I was not prepared to handle a lot of what life was about to throw at me because my parents weren't. My mom and dad divorced when I was uh, young, and my dad wasn't really in my life. My mom uh, and then ultimately my stepdad came into the picture and raised us, me and my sisters. But my mom, as amazing as she was in some aspects, was, like I said before, one of the most abusive, uh, probably the most abusive person in my life. But that was because she was a product of her environment, something that I didn't really come to grips with until I went to this therapy. Um, I thought I had, I guess, forgiven my mom prior to that. Um, I didn't have a relationship with her for 13 years before she ultimately, unfortunately, died at a very young age at 65 from essentially drinking too much. I mean, that was really, you know, the kind of root of her demise. But my mom, you know, love was never modeled to her. Self-love, you know, healthy love was never shown to her and modeled to her, nor was it shown to or modeled to my stepfather. My stepfather was a high, high, high level perfectionist because that's what he learned. There was not, there was the, his bar was infinitely high. There was no way of possibly uh, pleasing him seemingly. And perfectionism is a real problem for a lot of people. Uh, and then my mom was impossible to please, but not because her bar was infinitely high, but because she was this moving target as a borderline personality. It, depending on her feelings at any given moment, she could feel this way or that way or this way. I mean, it was like you had to be prepared for any situation, which is like, Very unpredictable. you know, manifests to this day in my life. When I pack, <laughs> when I... Like I'll go to Disneyland. It's like, all right, I got to make sure I got my water. I got my wallet. I got my thing. But, you know, like I'm the person that doesn't really lose things very often. Whereas I have friends who had parents that were so cool and took care of everything. And they are always like, uh, does anybody got anything? I don't have any of the things that I need. And it's like, cause they never needed to have any of the things that they, <laughs> that they needed. Yeah. You were like forced to grow up too fast on eggshells. All yeah. That and then stuff, also yeah. completely stunted in other ways, you know, because healthy love was not modeled for me and my sisters or really shown to us on a consistent basis. And so if you don't realize that, you don't realize what actually, you know, loving yourself, taking care of yourself, you don't see your parents doing that. You don't see them investing in themselves in healthy ways. You don't know what any of that actually means. And that Amen. shit will come back to haunt you hardcore. Your ego is a wonderful survival uh, tool that takes a lot of these hits but it's like this exoskeleton. It takes all the hits, it dents up, and eventually you're walking around in this like misshapen body armor that still wants to hold, you're still holding on to it. It's like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But really you need to shed that. You need to say, thank you, ego. Thank you for protecting me. But now I need to go heal. Now I need to go work on these things that you were protecting me from and that I was not ultimately understanding. And, you know, so... Therapy, not only did it help me to learn how to love myself, but I think, and I talk about this in the book, I mean, one of the biggest things that helped me to do is really learn how to love my mom and my stepdad and my father and really anyone else for that matter, who wasn't everything they needed to be in my life. Because as it turns out, 
our abusers were first abused. You know, like every single one of us is a product of our environments. And that's why we have got to figure out how to practice radically accepting, radically forgiving, and radically loving ourselves and others. If we can do that, loving does not mean graduated like. It's not like I like something so much I love it. To love, and I'm, you know, I'm, I know that you've talked about this on, you know, your socials and on the podcast. But it's one of the, one of the greatest quotes I've heard, uh, and I heard it recently. And it's uh, Thomas Aquinas, who kind of in the lineage of I think Aristotle, who said it. But you know, it, love is to will the good of the other, and that doesn't mean that you even like that other. It just means you will the good of that person. It's like looking at someone who has stolen from you or, um, you know, people who are murderers in, in prison and people seeing the human in them still and saying, yes, you did this. Yes, you're responsible for this. You are, you need to be held accountable for what that is. You are still, we are still accountable for our actions, but to sit around and be throwing blame and shame and finger pointing. It's like, who, who do you, re- you're trying to find fault. You're trying to find right. fault in someone's actions. Their actions that are really just Again, products, they are products of their environment. So if somebody goes and does a a horrible thing, well, whose fault is it really? Fault, fault. Is it their responsibility? Absolutely. And the the repercussions thereof. But the fault would really lay with their parents for having, and, and their community. And by the way, and then the generation before that and their parents and their community. And I mean, that's generational trauma. That's what it is. And if we're are, if we're going to stop this, and I knew, again, even before going to the therapy, I knew that this was a generational thing. I knew that we had so much un- mental unhealth in our family that if I were to go and take my own life, that would just perpetuate and perpetuate mm. and perpetuate and perpetuate. Like you just feed it. horrible thing. You'd feed yeah, you beast. just feed yeah. it. And then, and then, then I'm not doing anyone the favor that I thought I was going to do them because when you are at the precipice of wanting to end your own life, you really are telling yourself, I'm doing everyone a favor. I'm a burden and I'm doing everybody a favor by just Mm -hmm. disappearing and being off the scene. And I, that was the one thing that kept coming back. I was like, no, this will not be a favor. This will not be something that will ultimately help because this will only injure. This will only hurt. This will only, and again, just knowing that it would hurt my sisters was enough. It took that next generation. It right. took that younger, one more generation for me to go, oh my God, I would just be completely screwing up their lives. So anyway, that's why I can't stop talking about therapy. That's why I can't stop talking about, you know, going and loving yourself and that we all need to do it. It's the most important. Every other problem in this world, I fully believe we would fix everything. Everyone who is a you know, who kills and steals and warmongers and pollutes the environment and greed and all of the things that we struggle with every single day, if you, they're all rooted in a person's broken mind or broken heart. And if we can go and have empathy Amen. and will the good of those people and do the work to help hold them accountable, have boundaries, doesn't mean they get to walk into your life and keep beating you up. That's not love. Love doesn't just, you know, it's, that's one of the things that people ask me. They go, well, how can I forgive this person? And, but, you know, keep them from still abusing me. I go, oh, no, no, you know, forgiveness, unforgiveness. I'd love the, the quote, you know, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping that the other person will die. You holding on to unforgiveness is not changing that person at all. Right. Forgiving them is letting go of that and recognizing that all of those things were not actually personal. That's because they, they weren't doing it because they personally wanted to do these things. They're doing it because they are broken. They're broken. 
So have all the boundaries you need to have them. Forgiving them doesn't mean that, oh, okay, carte blanche, you can come back into my life. Right. No, it's letting go of the thing that is that is continuing to eat you inside and then being able to then hopefully see them with some more different, empathetic, fresh eyes and say, oh, oh, you need help. You aren't the monster I've made you out to be in my mind. You are someone who was abused. You were someone who has dealt with whatever darkness or, or, or pain, you know, hurt people, hurt people. I mean, that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's all those things. That's what the book is about ultimately. And, and why I, I, I hope anybody out there who is struggling with anything similar to this. And I think that, you know, most of us are at least a, a bit of it, it will help them to feel you know, less alone and more, um, capable of, of tackling those issues. Yeah. I think so much of the idea of what is radical self-love, it feels abstract or it feels like it's taking a bubble bath. Like there's not like tangible, literal, and, and certainly taking a bubble bath can be part of that, but you know, it, I love how you, yeah, that's part of self-care. Right. And I love how you're saying like, when you stop running from the things you know, that hurt us running from facing the things and you actually turn towards them. That's actually when you're liberated. That's actually when you're free. And I think about it like it's, it's stepping in and stepping into that space of, of channeling the inner warrior, like actually facing life's challenges and then alchemizing them into your own growth, your own expansion, you're integrating, you're wounding. Zach, thanks so much for coming on, taking the time, sharing your story. And for everyone listening, where can they find the book? Where can they find more of you? Um, I saw your new Shazam is about to come out. You've been dropping some hints on that. So I think uh, right now, unless they shift uh, the the release date, right now it's December 21st. Um, the new Shazam comes out. I think everybody's going to really dig it. If, they, if you like the first one, which I think we're, you know, we're all really proud of, the second one's even better. So I, I really hope people go out and enjoy that. Um, the book can be found on Amazon and on Audible. Um, and you know, wherever audio things are sold or books are sold, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of places. If you just Google radical love book, um, you know, there'll, there'll be options there. And, you know, um, my socials are all at Zachary Levi. I talk about these things, you know, pretty regularly and I do Instagram lives just to, you know, check in with people and keep encouraging us all, you know, in, in ways that I, I think are important in, in truth and in love and in wisdom and in empathy and, you know, so thank you, Mark. I so, so, so appreciate you. So appreciate everything you continue to point out into the world. And thank you for having me on the podcast. And I hope we get to do it again sometime. We'll just keep riffing on all the things. Oh yeah. Hell yeah, brother. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.